Well, uh, I'm going to read the text for our, our for the sermon today. It comes from Philippians through now. Philippians 4, 2 through 9. And I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... Lord, we come before you, and Lord, we, we thank you just for the cries of life echoing throughout this room. Lord, we thank you that this morning we come here because we serve a God, we know a God who gives life, all the beauty of life. Lord, even, even nourishment, Lord, you don't just give us some tasteless paste as fuel, but Lord, you give us you give us flavor. Lord, you give us music. You give us beauty. You give us sunsets. You give us nursery rhymes. You give us embraces. You are a God of life. You are true. You are good. You are beautiful. And all these things flow from you. And all these things are meant to roll back up into worship of you. And so, Lord, this morning, would you help us to take hold of that life? That, Lord, as Paul says, we'd be a people who rejoice. That in no matter what, we'd be a people of thanksgiving. That, Lord, in the midst of the bombardments of life, Lord, we'd be a people who have peace. This is not possible left to ourselves any more than it's possible for us to stay in life apart from you. And so, Lord, we ask that this morning you, through your word, would reach down into the foundation of our souls and your word would do the work that only your word can do and spirit that you would lay your hand of comfort upon us.
and bring peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing our Philippians series, and we're nearing the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians, and he's going to address some things that are in this last part, because we're essentially now transitioning to what you might call like the, the ending of the letter. We have this week and next week for the ending of the letter, chapter four, essentially, the last chapter. And as Paul transitions to this, he begins to address some of the things that are going on in the life of the church. Paul spent a letter, and he's told us about the worth of Jesus. He's told us about the work of Jesus in his life, his death, his resurrection, what it means now that he's at the Father's right hand and reigning in heaven. And then also he's told us about the way of Jesus. And what he's going to do in this closing is he's going to unpack specifically some dynamics that are going on in the church and what it means to follow in the way of Jesus and getting very tangible, very practical, you could say, giving us practices that we can put in place in our lives so that we can work out and experience the life that he's been talking about this entire letter in Jesus Christ. But then, and as we saw last week, we, we have this passage where he's talked about, do you take hold of the work of Jesus and take hold of the resurrection of Jesus and take hold of the reign of Jesus. And as we looked at last week, he's kind of in this moment where we, we called it last week, the forever home that we have in Christ, that, that he's just like this heaven, you're citizens of heaven and see this bigger reality that's like there's a ceiling on this world. And sometimes we just get stuck in this world and we forget this bigger reality, this transcendent reality that's out there. And in the midst of that, then Paul's like, he brings us up to the heights of heaven, right? And we're up there, and it's great. And then all of a sudden, then Paul, it's like he comes crashing back down. And all of a sudden, he comes back into that fading world. And he brings us to this place in verse 2 of conflict. Conflict. You might be thinking, like, Paul is like, it's heaven, and Jesus is working, all that. And he's like, Paul, why are you such a downer, man? <laughs> In fact, you may ask yourself, like, why, why is it? Why is it that when we as Christians, we hold up these beautiful, these, these true, these good things, and we talk about heaven, we talk about the gospel, we talk about grace, we talk about love, we, we talk about uh, new life, and yet at the same time, it can feel like why then in the midst of it does it just keep, like, every time I kind of, like, finally get above that ceiling, finally kind of get a look above the clouds, it just comes, seems like it comes crashing down. See, Paul, in this text, is going to be addressing just the dynamics of living in a fallen world, uh, of, the re of the real reality, of the fact that we are still in this, what you could call the not yet. And what Paul says is there are things that we must do in our lives. Even though we are a people that the word of God says should be a people who are united and, uh, and have peace, yet there will be things that seem to get in the way. And so Paul's going to help us get to the foundation of what's going on there. You know, one of the, when I was reading this, what kept coming back to my mind was uh, my wife and I, we moved from California last year and when you live in California, you like go to Hawaii all the time, which I grew up in Ohio, and Hawaii was like this magical place, right? And so it was amazing. We went to Hawaii like twice, and we would always go to Maui, and we'd be on the, on the, the west side of Maui, on the south side. And I remember just looking around, we fly in, and all these beautiful islands that make up that chain, right? And, and, and then when I'm sitting there on the beach, and I was like, what's that island over there? 
And if, if you're on that side of Maui, you'll, you'll know that there's an there's a island out there, and it's, it's called, I'm trying to remember, it's Kahulawehi, Kahulawehi, right? And, and this island I noticed, because all of the islands are, are like lush, and they're like rainforest, and, and they're beautiful, and you know, it's tropical, it's where everyone wants to go for their honeymoon for a reason. But then I looked out, and there's this, this it just looks like this humongous mound of dirt. I was like, what's up with that? And so I started asking questions about it, the local people there. And they told me that what happened was that it used to be just as lush as the other islands. I think we have a picture of Kulawehi, right? There we go. So it has a little bit of grass, but that doesn't look like the rest of Hawaii, if you don't know, okay? And so the question was, how do we get here? Why is this so arid? Why is this so dead? Why is it that almost nothing can grow here? And they, say, they told me a story. They said it used to actually, back in the day, in the early 20th century, be used for cattle grazing and whatnot. And they, they had a few folks that lived on the island, and it was beautiful, just like the rest of the islands. But then what happened during World War II is they decided that they would use the island. They cleared it out, and they used the island to test bombing raids. And so they took their best arsenals, and they continuously blasted and bombarded the island. And what happened was they realized afterwards they tried to go back to just everything being, once they're done with the war, and it's like, let's start growing things, and nothing would grow. In fact, it became like this. It was arid. It was just dirt, and, and the cattle couldn't graze, and there was no life, and you couldn't grow pineapple trees, and all the things that you think of with Hawaii, they couldn't do it. Somewhere along the way in the bombardment, deep down at the very foundation of that island, the foundation was cracked, and the water table was cracked. And so only salt water now was under the island. And so now what was happening was because of this bombardment, and because they hadn't thought about the foundation and kept and cared for the foundation of this island, they thought that what could happen on the surface level was it can just keep getting a bombardment, and then eventually what would happen is just you could go back to normal and things would just start growing. But what they found was all that was left was death. And I think that offers an amazing parallel, a picture of what happens spiritually and what Paul is going to be getting at in this text, which is that often our lives just, it's like this world is like a constant bombardment. And what happens is we go through life with different kinds of bombardments and it's different for all of us. But our world, if you're not, if you're not right now in a season of being bombarded, you're in a season either of coming out of being bombarded or you're in a season of going into being bombarded. You just don't know it yet. And what happens if we're not careful, Paul says, if we don't tend to our souls, if we don't tend to what's deep down within us, what happens is on the surface, all of a sudden we look around, and why does it seem like all that exists is conflict and tension and just all of this death coming out of us? And so what Paul is going to say, what he's going to do is he's going to say to the Philippians, is that aridness, that reality that's going on in the surface between you? What's going on there is you have to check and make sure that's just, that's the surface level. But he wants to help them see that there's something deep down that has been cracked. And he wants them to find healing there. And so Paul says you must get to the foundation where the conflict actually really exists. And he says, when you do, you can have peace. You can, be, you can have thanksgiving. You can even rejoice, even in the midst of the realities, the bombardments of life. 
So what we're going to do is look at the foundation. We're going to try to get to the foundation. And then two habits that will guard us from going that way in our lives. Guard us and cultivate peace in our lives. So getting to the foundation. Uh, Interestingly, in verse 2, Paul doesn't exactly say what these two women are fighting over. Like in verse 2, I entreat Eodia. You know, I entreat. Like I'm telling you, I'm pleading with you. Paul has heard at some point they reported to him some kind of conflict that's going on here. And Paul's heard about this conflict, but he responds. He says, I'm entreating you. I'm pleading with you, Yodia. I'm pleading with you, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. And it doesn't tell us exactly what these two women are fighting over. But here's the thing. We know the issue isn't some devastating moral issue, right? Like, let's just be clear. We're not talking about, like, one of these women was, like, having an affair with the other, like, woman's husband, Right? Like Paul, he would not just be like, you know, agree in the Lord, right? That's not what Paul would say. It's not probably some insane heresy or something like that. Paul would not just say agree in the Lord because then they have a different Lord and a different truth. But it seems to be, he doesn't say what it is. In other words, just to be clear, this text doesn't say or tell us to overlook serious sin. The text doesn't say, hey, just put that under the rug, pretend it isn't there, and just continue going on. Elsewhere, in fact, Paul says you have to address those things. Most of Paul's letters are filled with encouragement to address those things. Saying if you don't, then you actually cease to be the church. But it seems that these two women seem to be fighting over a significant issue. Significant enough that it's dividing them, that's causing them to fight. You can imagine that when they're writing, possibly Paul got letters where he's getting the different vantage points. You can imagine they expect, like if you ask Yodia, he, she would expect Paul to come back and he would, she'd be saying, no, Paul. Paul, don't you understand? She's in the wrong. The other one would say, no, Paul, don't you, did you cast them out? That's probably what they're expecting when they read this letter. Now, I don't think I have to say the obvious thing, which is this is kind of the modus operandi, like the default way of operating in our culture today. And Paul is concerned in writing this letter and saying, see, the thing is, if you're going to truly find healing, you can't go down that road. And he's pleading with the Philippians. He doesn't want that to become their default heart, nor does he for us today. Instead, Paul says, look to the foundation. Paul says, agree in the Lord. Notice Paul doesn't say the things you disagree about are insignificant. Just let it go. He just says, don't get so caught up in the things on the surface that you forget to address the foundation. Because here's the thing. It seems that Iodia and Syntyche, it seems that they have a history of being in ministry together. Based on what he says then going on in verse 3, he says, yes, I ask you also, true companion. We're not sure, true companion. It, It actually literally there is yoke fellows. You're like, yoke fellows? That's not something we say today, right? I'll introduce my, this is my yoke fellow, right, at parties. 
right? What, yoke fellow. Well, it's, it's, if you're probably around farming, you're like, I, I think I understand what that means. It means like imagine two ox that are yoked together in order to pull a sled or to pull a, you know, a sleigh or pull a cart or, or something. I'm not a farmer. I don't know. Pull a Prius. I, you know, so like they, they pull. <laughs> and, and so when they're, when they're pulling, though, they're walking a line. They have a common mission, right? And, and they're, they're aligned together and they're right beside each other. Working alongside. Paul even describes it as striving together for the gospel. These women seem to be a part of that. But somewhere along the way, they began to lose that foundation. See, they they had that foundation. They They were yoked together in that foundation. And so he's pointing them back to that foundation. They began to lose it. It was becoming cracked. And to use the modern phrase that hurt people hurt people, see, here's the thing. When your foundation becomes cracked, cracked people tend to crack people. Bombed out people tend to, when they don't find healing, bomb out people. And what's interesting is Paul doesn't even address the specifics of the issue. Why? I mean, we'd love, probably when we're doing this, we're like, oh, I want to know what was going on, right? I want the gossip. I want the juicy bits, Paul. Like, share with me. What is it? But he doesn't even go into it. Why? Because I think he knows they can't even begin to address the relational conflict until they address the deep conflict within. And he says the path to healing begins by digging down to the foundation that you share in the Lord. And until you can find that foundation, you can't find healing. And life cannot come. And I know right now this sounds a little bit vague. And I think Paul is hitting on a dynamic that is, feels also abstract and weird to us because it's a, it's a reality that is not found anywhere else in the world. It hit me concretely a few years ago. Uh, at my previous church, instead of uh, calling it a welcome time, we called it the passing of the peace. A little bit old school, okay? But we were Southern Californians who were hip, but we were old school. So it was like, cool, right? Uh, so we would have this time where we would say every week after we worship, like, you, because of what vertically God has done in reconciling to himself, that spreads horizontally. So if you're not reconciled to God and that thing's bombed out, you're going to bomb out all these relationships. But if you have that peace that you can have in Christ here, then that's going to extend to peace in the relationships around you because you're going to have a firm foundation of what you can stand on. So we talk about that every Sunday when we would then say, so pass the peace of Christ, right? And so they would, in different ways, people would welcome one another and pass the peace. And I remember I then got a phone call. It was a young couple in our church. It was from the husband. He was calling me frantic, and he was, I could tell he was driving. And he said he was heading home because his wife had just texted him and come clean. We had been, this had been a, a situation that I had been counseling in and whatnot. She had finally come clean that she had been carrying on an affair. And so this, and so I'm giving you a, a very serious example of how this plays out. And what happened, I said, you know, are you going to be okay? Are you going to be, you know, and, and he was like, I don't know, but I'm driving home. She's going to meet me at home. And I was like, well, I'm, <laughs> I'll be in the car too. Uh, try to, like, 
I'm, I'm trying to get there as fast as I can, and I get there, and I'm getting out of the car. I'm like, oh, no, what's going to happen here? Because I've been there before when those situations, maybe you've been around them. It's usually not like, hey, how was your day at work, honey, right? And so I'm expecting this explosion, and I get there, and I get out of the car, and they're both just sitting there just weeping. And, and I walk over, and, and I'm talking to them, and, and what he says is he's trying to explain what happened. He said, I was, like, he was going for blood. Like, he was driving there furious. You can imagine, just ready to just blow up. You know, give her what she deserves. And he said, I walked, it was the strangest thing. I walked up to her, and I looked into her eyes, and she was ready. You just tell she was ready, just broken, realizing what she'd done, surrendering it. And he looked into her eyes and he said, when I walked up to her, it was weird. It was as if I was almost like teleported to Sunday morning. And all those Sundays of when we would turn to one another. Because here's the thing. On Sunday mornings, like even I as a pastor, like there are Sunday mornings where I, just so you know, like there are Sunday mornings my wife Lauren and I, like it ain't like super pastoral when like we're having, we're, we're struggling, right? And so kids are kids. It's, it's stressful in so, some Sunday mornings. And so there were Sunday mornings where it's like, we're turning to one another in the midst of that passing the peace and during confession time and all that. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm so glad she's here to, to hear this. Lord, speak to her right now, right? And so, and then, and then I'm coming out of it, and then I'm realizing, you know, there's some conviction, and I'm coming out of that, coming in the passing of the peace, and I turn to her, and she turns to me, and there's, you know, we're both essentially praying the same prayer for one another, like, pray for Iodia here, Lord, you know? And, and so what happens is we would turn to one another. I remember how many times on Sunday mornings, boy, did it save just our souls from going, getting a root of bitterness, because we'd turn to one another, and we'd realize we have to start here, like, it doesn't mean we don't deal with all the things afterwards, but we have to start here, what we share in Christ. There's the peace of Christ. You know Christ. I know Christ. We have reconciliation in Christ. That is the foundation of our individual souls. That is the foundation of our one flesh. That is the foundation of all of our relationships. And you cannot build any life. No life can come if that gets cracked and that gets lost. And what happened, he said, in that moment was I walked up to her and it was like I was teleported there. And I was so angry. And then I looked at her. And it just came over me. Peace of Christ. And he just broke down. And of course, they're in a place where like, we don't know what to do right now. We don't know where we go from here. We don't know how to perfectly heal this. But I know we have to start here. And of course, she's repentant. She's, she's quit her job already and said, I'm they literally were packing up the car and going, we're moving to this other town and we're moving ourselves from this situation. Those things had to come. There are consequences. But at the same time, they knew they had to start at the foundation. And they started there and that's where they built one brick at a time on that marriage. And I know that's an extreme example. And probably here, they're probably not talking about such an extreme example. But here's the thing. Do we have a foundation where we agree in the Lord? A foundation that says 
that there will be bombardments in life. And if you just try to grin and bear it, if you just try to bury it, if you just try to put it under the carpet, keep it in the closet, you know, the skeletons in the closet, whatever it is, or however you want to put it, if you just try to go through life doing that, <laughs> that's not what the gospel provides. Eventually, something's going to give, deep down. But what the gospel says is that we can agree in the Lord in this, that we have a Savior who entered the bombardments of life. He took on the bombardments from us. And his cross is so deep, his grace is so deep, his healing is so deep. The height and the depth and the breadth of the cross is much deeper than whatever that foundation is in you. And what he's saying is, will you come to me? Will you build on that foundation? Will you shore up that foundation? And so I don't know what the bombardments are in your life. But are you finding yourself just on the surface, just turning around and not knowing how just, there's just no life and there's just no depth. And perhaps today God's calling you saying, come to me. Find peace in me. Find healing at the foundation." And I know this is a hard, this reality, it's, it's kind of, it's like this idea. So how do we take hold of it? And what Paul does is next he gives two simple habits. Say simple yet profound habits. Uh, and these two habits are, are habits that he says, if you will do these things, then he's going to say once in verse 7 and then also in verse 9, he's going to say that then he talks about the peace of, of God, the peace that you can have in God because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And he gives two habits. He says, if you do these things, we'll change your life. And here's the thing. These are going to be super, you're going to be, ah, oh, these are super simple. But I, I remember once I was in a seminary class. It was like first seminary class. And, you know, you walk in, you're like, I'm here to become, you get a master of divinity. And you're like, I'm going to become a master of all things divine, right? Like you got this little 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 person in your heart that's telling you like you're you're this king walking in here and you're going to dominate this thing and what my professor told me it was a family ministry class and they like make everyone take it because you're like family ministry i don't need that and he walks in day one he says listen if you can't get an a in this class you shouldn't have made it in the seminary like you shouldn't be able to get in grad school but he said it's gonna be simple but here's the thing if you don't take these truths to heart you're gonna be calling me in five years and you're gonna wonder where your wife and your kids are so the class is about how to do family ministry and have a healthy balance there. And, and I would say with these truths, I'd say the same thing to you this morning. Uh, they're simple. But at the same time, honestly reflect on and where you can bring these into your life. Because if you do, they are going to have a profound impact in your life. First habit, thanksgiving before the Father. Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So thanksgiving before the Father, regularly bringing thanksgiving to God. He says you can rejoice always. So in the bombardments of life, the complexities, the conflicts, the pressures, the concerns, Paul says you can rejoice. Paul's not, remember, again, I just want to say again, remember, Paul's in prison. Paul's not like at the, the Hallmark headquarters writing letters and like sweet nothings. And sending them mugs for, you know, with like little nice Bible verses on them. Like, just revo rejoice always, guys. And they're like, oh, well, Paul, you know, that sentimental guy. He's in a hole in the ground in prison. So Paul's not just some sentimental guy. 
Even in prison, he's saying you can rejoice. How can Paul say that? I mean, there's a lot of stuff life throws at us that isn't exactly prompt rejoicing, right? And Paul says always. I mean, think about that when you're in conflict with your spouse, when you're short on the, on the bills, the mortgage, when your job is difficult, when you're sick, I mean, if you ask, does Paul really mean that? Is he talking about that? And I would say, when, does it fall under the category of always? Always. Yes, rejoice. In fact, Paul, say, Paul says not only that, but even in the midst of when life is just bombarding you, instead of turning and bombing others out, he said, actually, you can have this deep well, this, this reality, this foundation that is so sturdy that even in the midst of that, you're able not to just turn and bomb others, but to actually, as the, verse, as the NIV translates, verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul's saying, bombed out people, bomb out people. They don't have any hope. He's saying, you can be different. Your life can be different. Your soul can be in a different place, and your, your life will overflow with life, even in the midst of it. Because you have something different, you can be different. How? Well, Paul says you have a heavenly father you can go to. Do not be anxious, verse 6 says, about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why is that significant? Well, well, think about it. Paul doesn't just say, like, you know, let your thoughts, your anxieties, just be kind of like cast out into the universe. Just thoughts, angry rantings. The other morning I was trying to drive down Providence at like five till six. If you want a test of patience, drive down Providence at five till six in the morning because the red lights seem to be like eight times longer. And as I'm sitting there, like, somebody's next to me, and they're, like, literally with the, the lights just, you're waiting for the red light. And this person's just, bang, bang, like, I'm like, oh, this is his first time, right? I do this often. And, and but he's just, like, crying. I'm like, who are you crying out to? Like, is the light going to be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ding. You know? Like, that's, like, who are you crying? He's just crying out, right? And we all do that, right? We all just cry out when, when there's frustration, anxiety, stress, whatever. When you're getting bombed out, we just start, you just start lobbing grenades, right? But Paul says, don't do that. He doesn't say, go on social media. I think we talked about this like two months ago or so. It's a really convicting thing where I heard a non-believer say, I, I really wonder, like, Christians talk about prayer, but it really seems like their prayer is really just social media. Where instead of living before God, we're just living before man. Treat it like a confessional booth as well. Paul says, no matter, here's the thing, Paul's saying specifically, no matter what, we can go to someone. You can go to your father. We can go to someone who knows all things, who is good, who's able to respond. He's all powerful, but at the same time, really what he's saying there is you can have peace because he is present. He's made a way for you to know him. Remember the Bible, when it talks about going to God the Father, no one in Jewish history would talk about God as Abba, Father. They didn't dare do that. You have a God who is who's holy, consuming fire, and you enter into his presence with sin, and you die. And now he's saying there's a way where he as a father welcomes you. 
My children don't fear coming to me and being like, oh, he's an all-consuming fire, and I hope today with my sin I'm not consumed, right? They just run up and they jump on my lap. And Paul says, you can do that. And Paul says in verse 7, when you have that reality, there is no greater peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, just like my children when they don't understand what's going on, but they run and they jump on my lap, but they know when they're on my lap, it's okay. And they're, they're running and jumping on my lap. I remember doing that as a kid, not understanding all the complexities of life, not, not understanding what's happening all around us, not understanding what these bombs are. Not under, I don't understand any of it. And, and at the same time, though, I just run and I just want to be on daddy's lap. And here's the thing, because it's not so much will the bombs go away. Go away. Really, my deep concern, what really addresses that foundation is, are you there? And what God says, what Paul says, is we're riddled with anxiety, with worry. Do we simply just refuse to go to our Father? In the midst of life, and we can't know all the reasons why the things, the bombings in our life are happening. But he knows. And we can rest in him. In everything we can cry out with thanksgiving. Why thanksgiving? Because Paul says that reality can never be taken away from you. Paul's not saying just be thankful for the difficult things of life. Like you look at an evil thing and go, thank you, God, for this evil thing. Like there's, there's an aspect of that, but here's the, what he's really saying in this place. He's saying, God, I'm thankful for you. In all things, all times, always, I can be thankful because I know that you are with me. And yes, then we can look at things and say, Lord, thank you for this thing in my life because it's drawing me to you. That thankfulness is rooted in what he has in the Father. And Paul says, if you make it a habit of thanksgiving before the Father, he'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when you're bombarded, draw near to the Father. And you say, okay, so practically what does that look like? What's this habit? Here's what I would say. When I, one thing that's incredibly helpful is writing, journaling, diary. I know, guys, you're like, no, I'm not doing it, right? I know. But here's the thing. Most likely, here's the thing. What, whatever it is, Ask yourself right now, here's our check engine light, how much do we do this to other people versus how much do we do that before the Lord? And I'm telling you one of the ways to kind of change your heart, to train your heart, is to take time to bring the anxieties and the conflicts of your life and writing them down. And, and here's, here's where you start, okay? Because you're like, how do I just, God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the grapes, right? Like you're like, ah, because it's hard. Like what? Here's, here's what I do, okay? I sit down, best writing tip I was ever given in undergrad. I did like a lot of fictional writing and that's the, the training that I got was when you get writer's block, here's what you do. Write what makes you angry. What am I angry about right now? And believe me, do it and you'll become Stephen King. Like you'll just all of a sudden like, oh, oh. I wrote 20 pages, right? So just start by saying, Lord, what, what's making me angry? What's stressing me out right now? Lord, oh, what's this thing? And just start writing. And here's the thing. As you start writing then, 
you're, one, you're directing it towards the Lord, and then as you start doing that, then go, then pause at certain points and go, okay, Lord, how can I be thankful? Your heart's already doing it. Your heart's already raging. Your heart's already, you know, the bombs are just flying out of you, like missile, you know, ice, ice, clothes, ISO, anyways, silos. Bring those before the Lord and then ask him, Lord, how can I be thankful? Write down names. And then what Paul says in verse 3, write down names and then say, Lord, and remind me that their name is also in the Lamb's book of life, if that's true. So just find a way to write. Put it on your phone. Have an Evernote thing and put it in your notes on your phone, whatever it is. But go before the Lord, go to him, and then say, Lord, help me to be thankful here. What can I be thankful here, Lord? But the one thing I know I can be thankful for, Lord, is you are near. You are here. The one thing I know in the midst of this situation is I am not abandoned. I am not forsaken. But you are near. Make a habit of thanksgiving, and God will guard your hearts and minds, your foundation, with peace. The second habit is to offer hospitality toward the other. Offer, offer hospitality toward the other. Paul says in verse 9, if you want to know the peace of God, you have to practice the things of God. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. See, what he's literally saying is you need to train yourself in this reality. You need to practice these things. You need to develop habits. You need to rehearse the reality of what you have in Jesus Christ. And why do you have to do that? And here's the thing, because your whole life, we talked about this a couple times in this series. Listen, your whole life is being formed and trained in habits. And we go through our life just assuming like, Oh, I'm just becoming a Christian. But the thing is, he's saying, practice these things. Train yourself. Have disciplines in your life. Because if you just go through default, then you're going to become just operating in the defaults of this world. And in a world of just being bombarded all the time in a fallen world, then you're just going to join in. You're going to listen to whatever the world says in verse 8. is true, for, uh, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Paul says if we're not specific with this, what will happen is just will devolve into just, just war. Honorable will be distorted into honor killing, destroying reputations. Pure will be perverted into purification of others. Paul says you have to be intentional to think, he says in verse 8, about what Christ has done and practice he says then in verse 9. Now, when I say think and practice, I know that they, at first glance, they seem like two different things, right? They're like, wait, do I think about things or do I practice things? How do these work? I think there's a, a, a helpful phrase that captures this dynamic. It's actually by Aristotle. He says, the soul never thinks without a picture. Think about that for a minute. This is what Paul's saying. Your soul needs a picture that you work out and you rehearse and you're doing with your life. And when you have that picture, your soul is going to think in terms of those pictures. Paul is saying in order to be a people who keep our minds on what Jesus has done, we need practices that picture for us what is true in Christ. Practices that will help us think, have a picture of what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. And there's no greater habit that helps us picture 
peace, especially here because we're, Paul's talking in the context of conflict, than hospitality. Hospitality is a biblical, you know, hospitality, I like to think of it in terms of, fel- so fellowship is a biblical term for like our inward kind of facing, like our relationships and whatnot. And hospitality is kind of this like, open, it's like everyone's already in the room and we're fellowshipping. Hospitality is throwing open the doors and inviting in those who aren't in the room yet. As God has welcomed us into his family through the work of Christ, so also then we welcome others and make space for them. Especially those we think of as the other, that person, the stranger, the iodias and syntiches of life. Why? Because that's what we were to God. We have to remember that we were the other. That we were at one time that person, the stranger, or as scriptural terms, enemies of God. Yet while we were yet sinners and enemies of God, Christ Jesus died for you. But it's easy for that to remain an idea, right? So Paul says, make the gospel concrete through the practice of hospitality. And the very few things make the gospel more concrete than hospitality. And what I'm talking about with hospitality is just welcoming people into your homes. Now, I shared some sweet memories that I have with my father. Unfortunately, those memories with my father are actually very few. Uh, my, my father left uh, when I was young. And I remember one of the things, so a picture of how hospitality gives you a mental picture and it changes how you view the world. How God offers us hospitality, how we can offer one another hospitality, and how we can then in turn offer it to others. And here's the thing. I remember as a kid, like I, I grew up and I would go around like churches and I'd hear about churches. My family wasn't really a church-going family. And, and I, would, I would go actually on Sunday mornings uh, I think starting in third grade, and I would forever, I would sit up in the balcony, and I would watch. And, and I would watch because these were people who d- weren't arguing. <laughs> it wasn't like my home. And, and so I was just drawn by that. And I remember, I, this was a couple years, and people were finally like, who's that kid in the choir loft, right? Um, like, you want to be in the bell choir? Uh, and so when, I remember then after a few years, there was this kind of push against me because I was just this other kid. I was, I was from that family. People knew the reputation. And so there was this, like, for me, there were all these things, like, how do I think about a father? How do I think about who I am? How do I think, like, in the, in the church, and what is this? And I remember then, though, there were a couple families that stepped in, and they said, no. We're welcoming him in. And, man, guys, they just threw open their doors. I, I, was, a, I was a messed up kid in many ways. And I would come in bringing all my stuff, and they welcomed me into their kitchen table. And I would sit, and there would be already a chair and a plate sitting there. I remember how, how, you know how deeply formative it was to see grown men, fathers who were at the table? I had a picture of, that spoke volumes of an empty chair. And all of a sudden, my mind started to see a different picture. A picture of what it means to have a father who is present. A father who's playful. A father who's stable and friends and family embracing you. 
and that the Lord used in unbelievable ways in preparing my heart to be able to receive the gospel. Because when somebody would talk to me about all the categories of the gospel, they just did not make sense to me. But the Lord had given me a picture through hospitality that helped me to grasp the reality of what we've been given in Christ. And now, I mean, we were just talking the, the other week where it's like, now all of a sudden my wife and I were like, we have this home where now we get to extend that hospitality. We're like, even last night we had families over, and like while they're over, <laughs> there's just like neighborhood kids coming in and out of our house uh, at all times. They like just come down and they like get sodas out of our fridge and everything. It's like, we'll be walking in our house and like kids were just, you just hear, we're like, I guess there's kids downstairs, right? And so we just like, we, we want, but we just want them all to be able to just come in and go, we've been given so much. Like, we've been given this reality. There's such a richness and a stability, and just you could call it in the midst of the bombardments, just this bomb shelter where there's life. And here's the thing, and we're praying how God's using that in those children's lives. And if, even if it's nothing else, it's just as we're talking about the gospel and whatnot, but just a picture. So their minds would think in a different way. God wants to use you in the same way. He wants to safeguard your heart by being in, having that picture of hospitality with one another, being welcomed but also welcoming those who you might not normally welcome. And so I would ask, especially as we're heading towards Easter, you have a, a one, the fancy card, that's what's called, a card on your seat, an uh, invite card to, to Easter. And, and here's the thing, I was, Easter is actually in two weeks. Let's do something interesting this year. I, I would invite you, even before you invite somebody to the Easter service, I would just invite you simply to invite them into your home. To invite them over to get a picture of what it looks like to be in a, in a family where, where Christ is, is loved, embraced, and honored. And so I would, I would encourage you, whether it's with your roommates, whether it's with your, your family, with your children, to think creatively. And then be even beyond that, how you can begin a habit of hospitality. Because when we practice hospitality, we get a picture, a very clear picture of the welcome that we've received in Christ and the peace that we can have in him. So just to recap, first find healing at the foundation you have in the Lord. Don't stay on the surface. Habit number one, practice thanksgiving because it's God's means of guarding our hearts and minds with the peace of Christ. And habit number two, practice hospitality because it provides a refreshing picture of the welcome and peace we've received in Jesus Christ. Anthem, practice these things even in the midst of whatever is bombarding you. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for what we have in Christ. Father, guard our hearts. Point us to Christ. Lord, wherever the foundation is in danger of being cracked, Lord, maybe we realize right now it is cracked. And Lord, while physical islands, they healing that water table is an insane, near impossible engineering project, Lord, healing what is cracked deep within us is not impossible with you, but it's a work that you do every moment. And so, Lord, if there's anyone in here who just feels like the surface of their life is just arid, dry, 
dead. Lord, I pray that you would reach down. Down to the foundation. And right now, Lord, that you would begin to heal. That, Lord, they would see where maybe they haven't looked to you for your healing in Christ. Or, Lord, maybe just not taking hold of it. Years of grumbling, complaining, running from you, rather turning to you in thanksgiving. Lord, practices that are causing that crack to widen. Lord, you, would you, with a few simple practices, Lord, begin to close that. Use those as a means to close that gap and heal so that, Lord, growth would come again. Life would come again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.